You're listening to community-supported Acaville Radio, streaming acapella around the clock at acaville.org. Acaville, where every instrument is portable. At the top of the hour this hour, Home Free is wrapping up their Timeless Tour, but only to go right back out on the road for their Christmas Tour. This is their third annual Christmas Tour. The Christmas Tour kicks off on Saturday, November 24th, right after Thanksgiving at Harrah's Resort in Atlantic City, New Jersey. From there, they'll crisscross across the United States and end up in Phoenix, Arizona on Monday, December 31st. For tickets, please go to homefreemusic.com tour. Tickets are going fast as the show in Wausau, Wisconsin on Saturday, December 22nd is already sold out. While you're on their site, you can download or stream or watch their latest single, Finally Free. Hello, Acaville fans. Welcome to Tacapella, Acaville Radio's weekly talk show. I am one half of the dynamic duo. John Lampus joined by my co-host, Brian Brian, how you doing today, man? You've been married for like three, four weeks now, and I keep bringing it up because I'm I'm just so excited. I know someone who's married, and they're like around my age. It's kind of neat. I know. That. Thank you for the promotion. You know, uh, married <laughs> life has been a, a slight adjustment, but it's been fun nonetheless. So thank you for sharing with our listeners on uh, yeah. you know my current <laughs> update. I appreciate it. And today we are also joined by Rachel Jaffe, who is another member of Acaville. Rachel, how are you doing today? I'm good, thanks. How are you guys? I'm doing fine. I mean. I I just had some noodles like I do before every pretty much every recording, <laughs> so I'm feeling I'm feeling pretty good. It's become kind of a tradition. I think that's and, tradition. Yeah. yeah, I just edited an episode, <laughs> the one that aired last weekend. I was like going through it, and I was like, why am I talking so much about noodles at the beginning here? So I'm gonna I think I think I'm just gonna cut it off here and not talk anymore about noodles. But Rachel, can mm-hmm. you tell us? and the listeners a little bit about your acapella experience, because it's a little different than I think the general kind of guests we get in the show here. We get lots of directors, we get lots of people who have been in like 60 different groups and founded a bunch, but you've interviewed a bunch of groups. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure, yeah, but first off, I just wanna say uh, congratulations to Brian uh, on yeah. your marriage. Yay! <laughs> thank you, thank you so and, much. And not to let the noodle thing go, but I had noodles for lunch as well, so. Okay, well, what kind um, of noodles? Um, I had Oh, ooh, ooh, nice, good selection. This, yeah, that's kind of become a weekly thing. Slowly gonna me. start becoming like a noodles oh. podcast halfway through, <laughs> and then Aaron's gonna listen to one episode and be like, "What? What happened to the show? You know, it was good for a while, and then got really food focused." Apparently, noodles are conducive to a good show, as we're finding I, out. I, so. I do it before every show. It's it's just a thing, Rachel. Exactly. So interviewing groups what is that like what have you what do you do how does that happen yeah so um i didn't start off with acaville interviewing groups um so my trajectory into the position that i'm at now which i guess is um i would call myself a producer and Mm co-host uh Mm. so by producer what that means is uh one of the things that i do for acaville is i reach out to various groups and ask them to come talk to us for various shows, sort of like you got you guys do as well. And it's been just an amazing opportunity to to reach out and meet some of these awesome people who are doing such cool things. Um, but 
So in the beginning, um, I, oh, I, I guess in the very beginning, um, <laughs> acapella came into my life uh, when I was in college, which I think is true for a lot of people, although maybe more for my generation, I'm slightly older than you guys. <laughs> so yeah, so how I started with acapella, um, what, or sorry, so how, I, how I started with acapella was in, was in college, because in mm. my day, that's sort of when people found, found acapella. And uh, on my university, uh, there were four acapella groups. There was an all guys group, an all, all girls group, and then two mixed groups. And one night, didn't have anything to do. Like there was advertised a concert. I went and I just fell in love with it. I just, the purity of the voices and they were having so much fun and their camaraderie and their unity. Just, it was really inspiring. And that's how I found acapella. And then from that time, you know, sort of in, I, I went to concerts as much as I could in my school. And then, you know, sort of I graduated and moved on to life. Uh, and in that time, <laughs> uh, you know, it, <laughs> I wouldn't recommend it. Um, <laughs> but I took a little bit of a hiatus. And then randomly, I was looking in one of the local papers. I'm on the East Coast um, in the D.C. area. And I was looking in one of the local papers. And there was advertised, I believe it was a Harmony Sweeps uh, mm. semifinal. Uh, in the DC area. And so I went to it and I just sort of re-remembered loving it. And at that event, they were talking about what at that time was called the NCCAs, now called the ICCAs. Oh, whoa. Oh, wow. Um, a little and this is, there. Nice. Yeah. This was in 1996 or seven. And mm-hmm. um, they were being held, the finals were being held in New York and I'm from New York. And so I was like, oh, I'll go home and I'll visit my mom and I'll go see the finals. And it just became a thing. I've been to every finals since then, uh, oh, wow. since 1997. Um, and it's been, it's just, a, I'm maybe an Uber fan. Um, like I, I just, I love, I love it. And watching the groups compete and watching them like sort of strive and do this really hard thing together that they've worked really hard for has been, was just something that really spoke to me. Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm I'm curious, Rachel. So two questions. So first, my naturally curious mind always is wondering, what what university did you go to? Yeah, I went to Binghamton University. And I will name drop the the group that was, yeah, the Crosby's. The Crosby's were my gateway drug to acapella. (laughs) Okay. And your group that you were looking into, uh, the other ones? um, There was uh, the Rhythm Method. Um, There were uh, the Bingham Tonics. And... (laughs) Oh, I'm drawing a blank at the f- at the fourth. I'm, I'm not. Okay. I, I'm not remembering. No, anything. not not a problem. I have this weird obsession with trying to always remember what groups go with what schools. So, mm-hmm. um, I, th- so I think kinda, Brian has that yeah. obsession because I always call the group he founded the Green Notes when it's actually <laughs> the Green, the green Tones. Like there are many <laughs> recorded instances of that in the uh, Tacapella archives of me like just swearing and saying it incorrectly over and over and over. So I think I think I nurtured this obsession in Brian to always be like, so what group are you in? What was it called? How do you spell that? <laughs> it's all right. I, for, I forgive you, John. But um, so, so I'm curious, Rachel, do you kind yeah. of remember back to your first um, experience with uh, your first group interviewing? Oh, so the first group that I interviewed was with Acaville and was six months into my tenure with Acaville. And mm-hmm. I do remember the group. It was a group um, from the UK. Actually, it oh, was not oh, wow. an American group. And I was so nervous. I was so like, I was shaking and I was like, and I told them too, like, this is my, you're my very, very first interview. And they were so kind and so lovely. And it was, yeah, it was great. It was uh, just a really neat opportunity to talk to people about this thing that they love that a lot of people don't outside of their group, don't talk to them about. Right. So 
Right. It was a neat connection. They were lovely. And I was so enthralled with their accents that <laughs> it was it was a little bit hard to have the interview because I, I'm a, <laughs> a little bit of a sucker for a British accent. <laughs> I mean, we grew up with the Harry Potter films. I understand that. So I'm curious, with interviewing all of these groups, what have you learned? Because to confirm, you haven't been in an acapella group. Is that is That, that true? is correct. That is correct. I have. You are yeah. one of the few people. Oh, wow. I think we have like, you might be the second or third person who's been on Tacapella who has not been in an acapella group. And I think we should even have more of those on the show because you guys bring a totally different perspective from Brian and I, because we both talk a lot. I mean, our last episode um, that we recorded, Brian and I talked all about founding groups and running groups and what it's like to be a leader. So it's super great to get your perspective on it from not from the outside, but your outside one part of acapella, but in the culture of the whole thing. So what have you learned from doing all of these interviews? Because you've done a lot. What sticks out to you? What are the big strokes? So for me, it is just so very clear how passionate the people who are making the music are about the music that they're making. And it's really inspiring to hear people talk so passionately, so intelligently about this thing that they love, that they spend so much of their time doing, it, it really comes across in the music that they produce. And you can, mm. you can really see that. The groups that are especially thoughtful about their process, I feel like are very enjoyable interviews. The ones that, that really know what they're doing and why they're doing it. Um, and have a, a mission almost. Not, I mean, maybe it's a mission statement or maybe it's just a, a, a feeling within the group that they're trying to achieve. They talk so intelligently about what they're trying to do and how they're trying to do it. Those are, those are the, the best interviews. Are there any that of those very intelligent groups of these groups that have clear mission statements, are there any that uh, you can name off the top of your head that come to mind? So um, I really loved talking to the Bubs. We had a, mm. an interview with the Bubs, which was great. Uh, I really enjoyed talking to um, Grains of Time. Yep. Uh, they mm. also had mm -hmm. a, a really, um, like, just a, a clear, like, vision of what they were trying to do. Uh, you know, voices in your head, SoCal vocals. So most of the groups that I interview are for Competition Countdown. So they're the groups mm -hmm. competing in ICCAs and ICHSAs. And the groups that end up making it typically to the finals are the ones who have thought a lot about why they are trying to go there and what their mm -hmm. mission is. And those are the ones mm -hmm. that talk really especially intelligently about their journey and their experience and what they're trying to achieve. That makes sense because wow. if they're going to put in all of that work to learn, like maybe just like drill, maybe get six songs down like perfectly, they have to have a pretty solid motivation for it. So it makes sense like that they've come to this conclusion and thought about it pretty deeply yeah. with the bubs. Let's just take, for example, what were some of the highlights from that interview? What are some of the things that stuck with you? I mean, they're a huge group. A lot of people were exposed to them on the sing-off, but those of us in the acapella community know them for how long they've been around and how much they've done for the genre. What kind of comes to mind when you think of the Bubs interview? So that one was a little bit um, fangirling. Um, like, so, <laughs> uh, I do that with Brian not... every week. It's all right. It's <laughs> okay, true. And maybe not something they said so much as just knowing where, where they had been and just having an opportunity mm. to speak to those particular guys and hear about what being in the bubs means to them and what that experience is like. Because the bubs are really different than how a lot mm -hmm. of groups work. <laughs> and so, so they, 
for me, just hearing about their process because they're so different than other groups that that was really, really interesting to me. And then in another sort of fangirl moment, this would mean nothing to anybody but me. Um, I was randomly in Spain multiple, multiple years ago. And I was in the Plaza Mayor in Madrid and I heard acapella singing. And it turned out to be the Academical Village people from UVA. Oh, um, wow. And then I had a chance to interview them later, which was, it was just a really cool moment to, I know they weren't the same guys, but just to share with them that there was this connection was pretty cool. Yeah. So I'll start by saying that you're one of my favorite kind of people when it comes to acapella, someone who, you know, didn't have a very full background, such as in a sense of being in the group, but still found a way to be connected to it. I feel like with us, like as John mentioned earlier, we we come into with a, a slight, you know, skewed or biased perspective after you've been in as long as we have. But I'm, I'm, I'm curious with all the different groups, because you mentioned the buffs who have such a rich history and rich culture. And then some of the other groups you mentioned and taking into consideration culture, do you think that based off the groups you've interviewed, our community as a whole is doing enough to draw in people who aren't, uh, you know, come from a, a very serious background in acapella or who might have done the college thing or high school thing? Um, you know, just based off your experience, is a, is a culture there for us to draw in people? You know, it's a good question. Being in this position, I love acapella music. I like to sing. Actually, I love to sing. Um, and I we think did karaoke, I'm karaoke, decent- right? For, uh, for an, <laughs> I, uh, the Acapella Summit last year. Yeah. I did. Yeah. I did. Oh, wow. um, so I, I, I love to sing, but I was never sure that I was good enough. And I think that that's maybe, I, I don't know. It's been 20 plus years since I was in college and, and it's been 20 plus life years that I never tried to pursue more than what I've done with Acaville. But mm-hmm. I do think that that might be maybe something that the community could work more on is drawing in people who love it, but maybe don't have the music experience. And I don't know what that means for the groups and, and their expectations for their sound. And I understand that that's a, a huge concern, mm-hmm. but I don't know if there's a way that there could be something where the community could be more supportive of people like me who love it and are afraid. You know, like who, who are scared. Right, yeah. Maybe I'm not good enough and that, that might be okay. Like it would be good to know that though. Totally. I know there are groups, there are groups that do, um, like, oh, I can't remember the name. There's a group that, that specifically that is like all people who, who are not good singers and they sing mm-hmm. acapella oh, for uh, fun. The no tones. Yes. I was going to say the no tones, but I, I thought yeah. I didn't want to get it wrong. But you know, that, that kind of thing I think is awesome. But I, I wonder if for people who do have some talent, but maybe not, formal training, if there's mm-hmm. a way to be involved, maybe in the badoo badoos, um, and not the solo. But but you know, the background which lends such richness to the song as a whole. Yeah, and I think that there's a lot that um, you know, to be considered in the sense that, yeah, you know, a lot of people's focus being in the group is, hey, we're focused on the music. We're here to be really good musicians, be really great artists and really develop our artistry. I, I think now a lot of things that I've seen and uh feel free to chime in on that. I'm like, there's such also a culture shift and the way acapella is presenting, you know, from you know, whether groups are just putting out videos, they're doing all this branding online, um, vlogs, video logs, um, all mm-hmm. that. That was kind of a video blog, sorry. Um, and <laughs> video logs. And <laughs> I think that there's a lot that people are like, okay, well, we can't just get by with just the simplistic things. We have to really be engaging. 
at mm. the end of the day. And so I, I think what you're saying is important. And, you know, I think that it comes down to uh, more than just, hey, we went out on stage and we delivered, you know, a really kick ass solo. You know, what did we yeah. do to really engage the audience and what did we do to really develop fans at the end of the yeah. day? And I think this idea of how do we be more inclusive? How do we get people more involved? I think groups have to consciously try and cultivate a culture, not just within themselves, mm-hmm. but within their community. We talked about this on the Tacapella episode I did with uh, Chris Glattfelter. I think that was right before or after Brian came on. And we talked about how, uh, and Chris is an older guy. Um, he's, he was like in his 30s and he was an alumni of CSU and he sang with my group, the Mountain Horns, as an alumni member, as a community member. And so he's, you know, we have people there who are as young as 18 and he just had his 33rd, 34th birthday. And his wife would come to rehearsals and sometimes his kids would be there and we didn't have open rehearsals. But if someone talked to me about it and just said, hey, my friend wants to come and just see what we're doing, being open to that Mm -hmm. as long as it doesn't, you know, interfere with the process and then kind of extending like, hey, this is what we do. I had one of my friends, a lot of my friends in the group, their girlfriends would come sometimes come or their boyfriends would come Mm -hmm. and just hang out. And because of that, even though they're not you know, a mountain horn, they're not singing with us. They felt like they were part of the community. They would be at all of our performances. And for me, I have to imagine they really liked that because they were not just, you know, someone walking by and saying, oh, look, that's cool. They were people we had brought into the fold yeah. and shown like, hey, you like us so much. Let's show you how we do things a little yeah. bit. We made them feel included. Yeah. And I think because that mountain horns now has a reputation as a group that is warm and inviting. And it goes beyond just what you were saying, Brian, of, hey, it's awesome if you can get out there and deliver a kick-ass performance, but that's not the only thing acapella groups can do. And I think a group like the Yellow Jackets from the University mm-hmm. of Rochester, they like lead music education workshops yeah. in yeah. Like schools that don't have music programs. Mm-hmm. Like That's a group that is redefining what it means to be an acapella group. And I think in an age where... I mean, acapella was kind of sold to the masses on the idea of competition, the sing-off, the ICCA is mm-hmm. pitch perfect. It makes sense there's this hyper-focus on we're going to be the best group and we're going to win the thing. But now I think because that's been the focus for so long as a community, we're kind of like, you know, we're not saying we're not doing competition anymore by any means. I think the competitions are stronger than ever. Yeah. We are saying, well, what else can we do? And we're saying, well, what if we want to go sing for these kids? Or what if we sing every week for an old folks home? Or what if we have open rehearsals for incoming freshmen Mm -hmm. or for people in the community and recognizing? And I I think these are important because by recognizing and following through on what acapella groups can do, what purpose they can serve, we're making the culture stronger than if we are all just, we're going to do our six songs for the year and do our ICCA set. And that's (laughs) all we're going to do. And doesn't matter any other way. And groups will fall on a spectrum essentially sure. from the no tones to the ICCA champs to be. So I think it's really cool that we are seeing groups now open up more beyond just one end of the spectrum. And I think that's super important for the acapella community and the acapella culture as a whole. Well, that's that's actually one of the things that I like to ask groups when I do do the interviews is what are the things mm-hmm. that you do outside of competition? What are the things mm-hmm. that you do outside that's of concerts? Um, because... Yeah. Because these groups do do concerts for their local schools. Sometimes they go sing at local pizzerias or restaurant establishments or old age homes or things like that. And I think it's really important to talk about the aspects of them that are philanthropical. If that's not a word, but you know, whatever. <laughs> that, that have a, no, yeah, you know, philanthropy based. That have a philanthropy sort of or, or community based idea. So I, I think that's important. And I, I do ask that question. I'm always curious about what they do outside of 
competing. And I love I love that aspect of uh, including that in interviews. It's something I look back on my time in a college group. And I remember towards the end, I saw so many other groups, you know, get out there and do, you know, high school performances or do workshops. And I was like, man, I wish our group can do that. And unfortunately, it never worked out. But um, with my work now with college acapella and I do articles and I do highlights of different things groups are doing. One of the things that just happened recently was um, this whole thing called Ed Fringe, which is a big festival in the international space and that a lot of the UK groups take part in. Yeah. And what I loved about that is when I went and did some articles on the UK groups and their performances at Ed Fringe, most of them had a charity tied in to their mm. performances. They weren't just there to go on and put a concert. They were there to actually raise funds. Um, yeah. Some of them were solely performance focused. Exactly. Right. You know, some of them were really cool. They were like, you know, um, organizations for women or, you know, uh, like a children's hospital. And, you know, you see things like that. And it, it goes along with what both of you guys are saying. It's just like, you know, we're not here just to be performers. We're here to make a difference in the community, on our college campus, in our city. And it's something that needs to be highlighted. So, yeah, totally. Yeah, I think it's it's absolutely important that you ask these kind of questions and that you're doing it, especially, Rachel, and what uh, all the work you're doing. Thanks. Well, one of the groups that I interviewed with, I believe it was in Bend, was an all-female group that met out of a, they had gone to um, the March for Women, and they mm-hmm. had all met there, and they had decided that oh, they wanted cool. to not only, like, support their sort of political leanings, but also to sing together as a way to feel united and to raise awareness and support of each other and the community. It was amazing. Wow. I think that's really great. And I think these are groups that are pushing the boundaries and pushing the envelope of what it means to be an acapella group. And and we can all learn from them because, again, I love competition. I love musical excellence. That's, that's what I'm going for a career in. But when everything's said and done, you kind of want to feel as an organization, you didn't do everything just for yourselves. You didn't do everything just so you could win. You did stuff to give back to the community that allows you to be an acapella group, whether that is performing in your community, performing. For, I remember for Mountain Horns, we performed for the um, clubs organization, the head of the clubs thing at CSU, because they were the people that let us be a group at the beginning of the year. And while that is nowhere near the same level as performing for bad groups for women or at retirement homes, it was in that same vein of, okay, let's give back now. And then honestly, by doing that, it helps the other things too. If you're a group that performs regularly in the community, you're going to get that extra practice for the ICCAs. Mm-hmm. You're going to get that support from those organizations in the area. Yes. So it's not just this one-sided thing where, oh, we're a performance group, so we don't do any local stuff, or we are only a community group, so we don't do anything besides that. There is a balance, and it's about finding that right balance. And if you nurture both sides, they nurture each other, right. which yeah. I think is, is super important. So we got to take a quick break here, and then we're going to be right back here on Tacapella with your hosts, Brian and John, and our guest, Rachel. So we're going to be right back. You're listening to community-supported Acaville Radio, streaming acapella around the clock at acaville.org. Acaville, the only place where drums are replaced by boots and cats. (laughs) 
Hello and welcome to another episode of Across the Pond. I'm Erin and Across the Pond is all about bringing you the highlights of acapella in the UK. Um, Today we're spotlighting a very special group, Tone Up. They're from the University of Edinburgh in Scotland and I have got my sister Tara on the phone who is an alto and the publicity officer of Tone Up on the phone. We're live with Tara from Tone Up. Hi Tara, how are you doing? Hi Erin, I'm good, how are you? I'm good. Um, I hope the listeners aren't going to find this too confusing because Tara is my sister uh, and we have extremely Woo-hoo! similar voices. <laughs> um, so Tara, talk to me about your personal experience with Tone Up. When you joined, what stage you're at now? So I joined Tone Up this time last year. I didn't initially get into Tone Up and then I was recruited last minute. Um, and my experience of Tone Up has been absolutely amazing. Before I joined Tone Up, um, I didn't actually understand acapella. I didn't really have a vibe for it at all. But Erin, you were always talking about it to me. So when I joined, it was almost like everything just came into light. And <laughs> I finally welcome had... Welcome to the weird world of acapella. I was. I was really welcome to it. And everyone's so lovely. And I love my group. And I really enjoyed the music and I learned so much about sight singing, about different harmonies and I really enjoyed performing. Um, talk to me about Tone Up. So what what were your sort of achievements from last year? What did you learn from those? So last year we entered the Voice Fest UK, which I know Aquapella were also a part of and everyone. And we achieved outstanding overall performance and also our MD, Fraser Hume, won Outstanding Soloist. So overall, it was pretty much a big win for Tone Up. And since we're quite a new group, that was our, only our third year of competing. Um, it was a big accomplishment for us. When did Tone Up form, actually? It formed four years ago. So about, I think it was like October, November time, four years ago. Okay, they wow. They started, yeah. How many groups are in the Edinburgh Uni Acapella Society? So there's about seven larger groups and then a few groups of like three or four. I'd say about three groups of that. So it's a pretty big society. And do you have many non-competitive groups? or? Yes, so there's only three competitive groups and all the rest are non-competitive. Okay, and, and are Tone Up planning on doing any competitions this year? Yes, yeah, so Tone Up are planning to do Voice Fest UK, Scottish Acapella Championships, and ICCAs. So this year we've got like a lot on our plate. That's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't I don't know if many of the listeners on Ackerville Radio would know anything actually about the Scottish A Cappella Championships because that's incredibly niche within the it's UK community. So, so what's what's the difference between that and the ICCAs? For example, what do you have to do to prepare for that? Is it the same sort of idea or is it completely different? So it's a lot more informal. This year I'm actually on the committee for the Scottish Acapella Championships um, and it's mostly run by students of the University of Edinburgh. Ah, so it's not um, like a formal organisation? No, it's, yeah, we try to run it as formally as possible but we actually organise it and set it all up ourselves. The competition happens in Edinburgh but um, acapella groups from all over Scotland come down for it. So we have um, St Andrews, we have a group from Glasgow this year and multiple other groups. And who who judges that? Like, how do you sort of legitimise that process if it is students running it? 
So at the minute, we're in the um, process of recruiting judges for it. I'm not really involved in that. Um, and what, when is that? That's on the 3rd of March or the 4th. It's still under consideration. What would you say is your sort of, your niche? What is your USP? What do you guys focus on? Our USP? Well, we just focus on having fun, really. Like, honestly, a lot of us are just there for the crack, just there to have a good time. But The crack? Can we just confirm what the word crack means? I was heard for fun. Sure, so, banter. <laughs> like, I admire that you guys have such a good balance of you know, just really enjoying yourselves and not worrying too much, but also actually being a really good group. Yeah, yeah. Well, you gonna... closer to competition time, we get more stressed and more uh, focused, but... Um, do you have any plans fun. for releasing any music this year? No, we don't, actually. Um, it's all been kind of up in the air, to be honest, but at the minute, we're actually focusing on um, an arrangement that highlights problems with mental health and puts, like, a personal spin on everything, and we're going to, like include spoken word poetry and like I don't know we're in the minute of all like working towards that and it's going to be a collaboration it's really exciting at the minute uh, I know the, the Oxford Alternatives did a completely original ICCA set last year um, about mental health like they wrote 12 minutes of music about that oh, so wow. yeah really cool and yeah. obviously Aquapella did loads of fundraising for mine so it seems like I was just it's being talked say, about yeah. in in the UK Aquapella community which is really good so where can people listen to your music and did you release anything last year? So last year we released a single, uh, a New York mashup, and that's available on Spotify, iTunes and YouTube. And if you just type in Tone Up New York, it will be up there. Um, we have a very nice little music video uh, to accompany that song. Because you guys are obviously from Edinburgh and all live in Edinburgh, would you not consider doing the Edinburgh Fringe, like putting on a show at the the fringe for a couple of weeks or is that off the cards off the table every year they've attempted to do it but for some reason it never happens i think it's just because since we live here all year everyone just wants to get out so it's many groups though so many groups travel up to edinburgh and it costs them an I arm know. and a leg to put on a show for two weeks but i just i feel well, like you guys are missing a trick i might do, can i just join aquapella this year <laughs> potentially we'll see <laughs> Well, Tara, thank you so much for talking to us and hopefully we'll catch up with Tone Up later in the year and I wish you all the best with your competitions. Oh, thank you so much. It was really nice speaking to you. (laughs) So that was Tara from Tone Up from the University of Edinburgh. As she said, you can catch their single, The New York Medley, um, on all streaming platforms. Um, Tune in to the next Across the Pond. We'll be interviewing the president of... Oxford's group out of the blue who you will probably have heard of thank you so much for listening until next time You're listening to community-supported Acaville Radio, streaming acapella around the clock at acaville.org. Acaville, giving listeners worldwide something to sing about. And welcome back to Acapella.
Thanks for joining us. Today we've been discussing a really unique discussion with Rachel Jaffe. Uh, she's interviewed tons of different groups, has come from a, a place where you know, most of us haven't been, and that's with being right in front of groups and getting to know the ins and outs. And, you know, we've just been discussing everything under the sun. So I kind of want to change things up and just kind of switch gears, Rachel. And I want to hit upon some of your unique experience of groups. So I'm, I'm curious, what was the, the most fun interview you've had? You know, what's what was yeah. the most memorable, I guess? Yeah, so I went to I went to Boston to do some interviews uh, as part of BOSS. And mm-hmm. uh, while I was there, I went to one of the universities. I won't say which one. And I had an interview with the president of one of the acapella groups there. So the, the interview was fantastic. I had an amazing time talking to him. And afterwards, he introduced me to his roommate, who has this dinosaur adoption program. And wow. he... Wait, what? Yeah, a dinosaur adoption I, program. <laughs> I mean, I've seen Jurassic World and I'm still not sold, so you gotta walk me through this. So he made me pick out a dinosaur and he told me that he there was a little book that is like the... Um, that is the history of the dinosaur program. He made me pick out a dinosaur. Wow. He made me promise to have it with me at all times, forever and for always, amen. And that I had to choose the gender, the name, and my relationship to the dinosaur. And it has to go with me everywhere. So so I'm, I'm holding it up. No, our, our, the <laughs> listeners cannot see, but I'm holding up Prince Purple Punk. <laughs> Prince Purple what? Prince Purple Punk, who is my, okay. my, my son. Yeah. This is my son, huh. Prince Purple Punk. So what? that is... That wow. is the the strange, maybe strangest, funniest, like most interesting experience I had while interviewing, which I guess technically isn't with the group, but what wouldn't have happened without the group. Yeah, I can't think back to a time in any of my acapella experience where I, I had an encounter with like a, a dinosaur expert or anything. <laughs> well, and, and just for the audience, let me explain that Prince Purple Punk is about an inch high and he's plastic and he's purple, like lavender. <laughs> so that that's important so- to note. I've been doing this show for about two and a half years now, and I, I like to think I've gotten pretty good with, okay, if they say this, how are you going to follow that up with a question? Or like, are you going to turn this around? I have no idea what to say to that. Dinosaurs have never come up on Tacapella before. We've had some weird stuff come up, uh, but I have no idea what I'm going to say in response to that. Okay. Um, so I'm, I'm curious, as, as you've done all these different kind of um, interviews, have, is there a certain kind of personality or favor? Do you ever see like the high school groups are a little bit more engage and act with or the college or the mm. post collegiate groups that are like too cool to do it or whatever? Yeah. Like, yeah, you know, I guess we sing, you know, whatever. <laughs> exactly. I'm like, what's the personalities that come across when you when you do these kind of different groups? Yeah. So the high school groups tend to be pretty reticent. They tend to be pretty um, scared. Oh, mm-hmm. They are, to be perfectly honest, typically the most difficult interviews. The mm. students are, I feel like less sure of themselves and maybe more nervous than they need to be. I mean, we're all just talking, right? That's what interviews are. And I try and tell them like, I'm just talking to you about something you love. You don't have to be like scared of me. I'm, it's okay. (laughs) Um, But I think that they feel nervous in addition to like sort of maybe not having the presence to expound upon their answers. So the answers tend to be Mm -hmm. pretty short and not as thought out as folks who have had a little bit more experience. So you have to kind of coach them a little bit more, I'm guessing. Yes. Get stuff out of them. That makes sense. What about the uh, what about the college groups? The college groups are usually pretty good in terms. Of, I I have not had as much problem with the college groups in that vein. Um, they've been really willing to share what they're talking about, uh, what what they're doing, and expound on the topic at hand. 
And then even more so, I feel like the post-collegiate groups. I think, I, I mean, yeah. obviously mm-hmm. the, the sort of the older I think you get, the more experience you have just like sort of talking to people in general and relating to people. And so to me, it feels sort of normal that that's sort of how the interviews tend to tend to come across to me. Totally. I'm curious. So obviously you interviewed a, a wide range of groups. What is something that you see a lot of groups struggle with? Like mm-hmm. what is the, what is an obstacle they face? What do you see as the thing that groups struggle with the most? And that can be maybe what do the high school groups struggle with the most, college, post-collegiate, or overall? Because I think, uh, and this is the reason I do acapella and I like this stuff, being able to talk about acapella, dissect it, yeah. and understand opinions and perspectives. I can bring all of this knowledge and all this stuff into whatever group I go to in the future. Yeah. And I can say like, I learned from this guy who I interviewed or I can do this. And it also just, I think, makes me a better person because I get to understand where people who do the same thing I love are coming from in different ways. I think that's super great. And obstacles is a big part of that. So what's the thing you see groups struggle with the most through these interviews? I think in terms of what I feel like the groups struggle the most with, a couple things. One is having everybody on the same page about where the group, like what the priorities of the group are. Mm-hmm. Some folks in groups want to focus on recording. Some want to focus on performing. Some want to focus on having fun. As long as the whole group is unified in that sort of focus, there's no problem with that. But it, I think that some groups struggle with folks who either are less committed, like they like being in the group, they like to sing, but they don't want to devote as much time as maybe the director or the president of the group wants the group to focus or to have that amount of time. Or some think recording is more important than performing or whatever the different things that, that you can spend your time on. I think that the groups struggle with how and where to focus their time. That's really interesting that you bring that up. I think that John and I have actually had a lot of discussions. We talk about that a lot. <laughs> a lot about this whole idea of identity and goals and um, it's stuff that we both struggle with in past groups and things that we hear other groups struggle with. So, um, you know what? Makes you feel a little better. Yeah, it kind of, <laughs> it kind of does. It's like, okay, we this all stuff sucks. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe not think, to that point, but yeah. <laughs> I think there, there are groups with long histories and mm-hmm. very established persona where that happens less, right? When the group Mm -hmm. has been around for a really long time, yeah, the group has already established who they are and what they're about. And it's self-selecting in some ways. People don't apply or don't audition for the group if that's not what they're aiming for. Um, So those kind of groups, I think, have less of a struggle in that way. I mean, the bubs explicitly. Right. And is that really apparent in the groups that you see that you interview? Does that come across rather easily? Like you said, you mentioned a group like the bubs. I, I think mm-hmm. about them and I've, I've read the, the Pitch Perfect book before and sure. know a little bit about their past, but um, is that pretty apparent? I mean, when you ask a question and sometimes members will contradict each other in the middle of an interview about what they Those feel like is fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> and you can see some of the power struggles playing out in real time, um, <laughs> which... <laughs> can sometimes be uncomfortable, right? Like, but um, but in those circumstances, you sort of can see that that group isn't on the same page and that, and that that might be a struggle that they're having. I think too, for like post-collegiate groups, it's even more of a problem because 
in high school and college, so much of your time is, for lack of a better word, sort of available, right? Like it's free mm-hmm. and, and you have the freedom to focus on certain things. But when sort of post-college, when you theoretically get, you know, a job and you have at least eight hours of a day where you can't focus on this thing, necessarily the like those groups, it's very fascinating to hear sort of how they manage the, the things that are competing for their time and how they how they make this a focus, how they allow this to have the focus that it needs in order for it to be good enough, whatever good enough means. Totally. I'm curious. So what is the most interesting development you've seen in a group on, uh, in regards to a group you have interviewed more than once? Like, let's say you uh, like you interviewed one mm-hmm. group two years ago and then you inter- and they were not together. And then two years later, wow, they got it. Or maybe you've seen the opposite where this is a group with their where their identity is so established and they know what they are. And then those like three core members leave and two years later you go for an interview and they're barely holding it together. Like what's the you're in this sense of like (laughs) you're in the same place of interviewing these same groups that don't always have the same people and, and aren't always at the same place in their growth. So no, what, what have true. you seen in that regard? Yeah, no, that's, uh, that happens all the time because I've been, I've been doing these interviews for four plus years now. I guess I'm coming up on five years and I've really had an opportunity. I mean, a, a lot of the groups that do the competitions come back year after year, or if they don't, they're yeah. every other year groups. Um, and you really, it, it's fascinating to see how much one personality plays such a big role in the, in the um, success or the lack of success um, that a group achieves because sometimes there's somebody who's really driving the group, really pushing them really hard. And, mm-hmm. and whether it's in a, um, a negative way where the, where the pushing is like feels really pushy or it's a less negative way, it's more inspiring. Like they're, they're really mm-hmm. like the, the candle that people gather around, the, the, the flame the moths <laughs> gather around. Um, like the, those people really, you can see that they are leading the group. And when those people leave, it's necessarily a, a shift, a big shift. And actually, that's another question that I feel like I ask a lot. What do you do when you have big turnover? When half your group leaves because they graduate? Because that happens not infrequently, right? That happens often mm-hmm. yeah. where they're like, and this year we have seven seniors and we're a 14 person group. You're like, well, how are you going to handle that next year? What does that mean for the group next year? And so I have seen both of those scenarios where where groups who were really solid struggled in subsequent years and maybe not struggled, maybe in different um to different degrees, right? Like one group struggle might be another group success, but but I but I've seen it both ways. Where groups that were that that I felt like really strong who didn't feel as strong, and groups that seemed a little wavery were much more strong in subsequent years. I think it can go both ways, and I, I don't know how you maintain the quality year after year as people shift in and out. Yeah, in regards to what you, uh, Rachel, what you were just saying, I was like, do you ever see groups kind of own up to that? Uh, and to that accountability and you know they're like hey you know we don't know what we're going to do or hey we're here's what we actually have in mind or you know what what are groups mindset at when they hit those points of you know turnover or they hit those um uh, moments transition points yeah crossroads transitions yeah some i think are really um really honest with themselves about about the implications of these transitions and i think some maybe uh some might be unrealistically uh, optimistic, optimistic. yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> about about what the transition holds um but but I don't know right I'm an outside third party observer I-, I can think that they could be wrong um but mm-hmm. that doesn't mean that I'm right some groups weather that transition really well um yeah. some groups mm-hmm. don't and it's hard I I think 
I think the situation that I mentioned before where half of your group leaves or even like like 90% of your group leaves, I've seen that as well. Like that's a really hard position to be in. I don't know how you, how you weather that well in any circumstance. But I think when you have maybe, you know, a third of your group leaves to a third to a half, you could still, I think, survive that depending on how big the group is um, by bringing the people who are underneath up and along. You, it, it is, yeah. it is, I think your obligation mm-hmm. in that position, mm-hmm. if you, if you value your group and you want them to succeed after you leave, um, to mentor the people under you to give them the skills that will allow them to successfully lead the group after you leave. You just answered the question I was going to ask of like, of the groups you have seen, whether that transition well or stay stable, what is the thing that allows them to do so? And it sounds like, you know, not letting it be a one person show. Yeah. Letting everyone support the group so they understand, oh, uh, like this is what we have to do in order to get auditions ready. So they're thinking about that the year before they actually have to do it on their own as yeah. opposed to a month before they needed to get the posters in two months ago yep. to get them around campus and stuff like that. So it's this it's this proactive approach that I personally find to be pretty counterintuitive coming at it from a very like music focused perspective rather than a management perspective. Right, of, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at it like, I have these many rehearsals to fine tune, sorry by Justin Bieber, and we are behind <laughs> on it. So I got to use all my time to be right. getting this totally down. And this idea of, well, in there, you got to like devote like 10, 15% of that to getting them ready for to do this without you. And I'm just like, yeah. wait, what? No, yeah. <laughs> what, are, what are you talking about? And, and maybe even more than 10 this, to 15%, like especially, yeah. like I would say maybe even 25 to 50% of your time needs to be mentoring the people, depending on your mm-hmm. circumstance, right? Mm-hmm. Because if you're only losing one to two people, man, you can get by with less mentorship, right? But like if you're losing a significant number of people, that that is part of your job, in my opinion. I love that idea and I love that suggestion. It's something that I I think we think about, but it's done in a very unconscious way and no one flat out comes to say it. And I've never actually heard it said until Rachel just mentioned, but a mentorship <laughs> program in acapella, it's, yeah. it's crazy, but it's at, at times you're operating like a business. You know, to be honest, and, Mm -hmm. you know, you need you need to make sure that the right things are in motion to ensure the group's longevity and success at the end of the day. And so it's uh, it's just such a crazy but, you know, needed concept. It it makes so much sense actually just hearing it out loud. Yeah, Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. I know this past year and getting Mountain Horns ready for me to go. And, you know, I was the person who started it, who auditioned every single one of those members. There was this sense of like. I was feeling like, yeah, you guys will do it. And they pushed me like, John, we need to figure out who the music directors are going to be right now. And it was like late February, early March. And I was like, you guys got time. And they're like, nope, we're figuring it out now. And we're going to vote on it tonight. And I was like, all right, I guess so. (laughs) And looking at how they've been able to mobilize really well this year, they only lost three people. But having the founder kind of leave is always a, you know, one, not only a management kind of uh, debacle, but it's also a question of identity. Seeing how well they have mobilized and just being like, we had our point person, we had our president, we had our two musical directors, we had our social media person. It all just like, I I, I don't think it was perfect, but man, they mobilized so much faster than if, God forbid, you know, they tried to figure it out on Facebook Messenger over the summer. Mm -hmm. Like they did it when they could all have these discussions in person and get the machinery and get the procedures in place and now they're I don't have any worries about are they going to be able to handle it because 
I just went against my instincts here and let them figure out what they wanted to do for yeah. next year. And it's an underground sound, which is a group that we've interviewed through Acaville before. And uh, Lisa Hawkins, one of our segment hosts, she was a part of that. And they did such a good job. Da- Lisa Hawkins and Daniel Wolfert at Underground Sound at University of Puget Sound. I am just jealous of how good a job they did of getting the group ready for them to leave. They taught them how to arrange. They taught them how to lead warmups and yeah. rehearsals. And it's, it's, I am envious that they were just so good at that. So if you're not doing that, train your younger people, get them ready. Well, and John, I would say you were lucky in some respects because having those people under you who were willing to speak up to you and tell you what what they needed, that is something I feel like is a a hard, uh, that's a hard personality trait to find. Um, totally. And and I think that uh, a good leader of, of any sort of um, organization, but particularly in acapella, is encouraging your people to not be afraid of you and to speak to you honestly so mm. that it is for the good of everybody. It is not just, it's not about you. It's about the whole ensemble. And in order for that to be true, everyone has to feel like they have an opportunity to have a voice, not just a, a voice in the song, <laughs> yeah. but a voice in the group, a voice in the, in the well say said. of the group. There's lots of ways to lead. You can lead with fear, you can lead with love, and you can lead with hate. Mm-hmm. And I think leading with love, in especially in acapella, is is yeah. the right way to go. Boom. I can think of no better way to uh, end up this uh, second to last segment of today's episode. We're going to take one more quick break. We're going to pass it on over to Erin McCullough from Aquapella in the UK. And she's going to talk to us about a bunch of fun stuff she's been doing and people she's been talking to. And then we're going to be right back here on Tacapella with Brian Alexander and Rachel Jaffe. You're listening to community-supported Acaville Radio, streaming acapella around the clock at acaville.org. Acaville, giving listeners worldwide something to sing about. Hello, my name is Lisa Hawkins, and welcome to Tacapella's mini-segment, Asking for Directions. So in the previous episode, we talked about the vocal pyramid of warm-ups, and today I want to continue talking about warm-ups because I believe they're the most important part of a rehearsal. There are so many elements that go into a warm-up that are often overlooked. For example, why do we do warm-ups? To warm up the voice, sure, but why do we have to do it together? And like we said before, a warm-up sets the tone for the entire rehearsal, and yet we kind of brush it aside and try to get through it as quick as possible. So I want to talk about what I think are the most important things to keep in mind when doing a warm-up. I think to a lot of singers, warm-ups have become meaningless and unimportant because we don't really understand it. And as a music director, if you can't explain why you're doing a certain warm-up, don't do it. Before you start the group on a warm-up, do an example of it then address at least one, but preferably multiple goals of that particular exercise. One, this will bring in the focus of the singers, and two, now all of a sudden there's a goal and a purpose to that warm-up. The ultimate goal of warm-ups is to set the mood for success, so choose your warm-ups wisely, and you want to choose warm-ups that address issues your group has had in the past. I can't talk through all the steps of an efficient warm-up because that would be an entire long class, but I can talk about the most important points. So, the first important step to an efficient warm-up is the very beginning. The first thing you want to do is get everyone on the same page for the rehearsal, right? 
So a great way to do this is with an energizer or a focus exercise. You can determine which one to use in the beginning when your singers walk in. If they're hyper, don't start with an energizer. Use a brain exercise like, like a mirror game to get the singers focused by forcing them to respond to others' movements. But regardless of whether it's an energizer or a focus game, it's physical. And this is important because good singing is physical singing. And you want your singers to move while they're performing, right? So warm up doing so. Plus, it's a fun way to start off the rehearsal. The second most important thing is unifying. Unifying vowels, consonants, diphthongs, dynamics, breathing, everything. In acapella, barbershop, really all kinds of group singing in Western cultures, we're looking for that wow moment when the chord just rings, right? You know when it happens because you feel it. But those don't just happen. Sometimes they do, but if you want them to happen consistently, that skill is rehearsed. And probably the most important place to rehearse it is in the warm-up. That ringing feeling doesn't come from blend. It comes from being unified. If you can be unified in the way that you move through your words and phrases, that'll definitely set your group up for success in so many ways. For example, the word my. My has a voice consonant, m, a vowel, a, and a diphthong. E. Naturally, these are all going to be at different volumes, right? The my, the ah, when you're singing is going to come out a little bit more. So you have to practice navigating through those as an ensemble at the same dynamic, same intensity, and same timing. You can practice this by using a word similar to this, or maybe a word that your group is singing often, and go through it slowly and gradually work towards going at performance speed. And again, make sure the singers know exactly what they're doing and what the end goal is so you can address the issue and they'll know when it's working. The last important thing I want to address today is the use of pianos. It is habit now to constantly have the piano playing our notes through a warm-up, but this is such a huge crutch for singers and it kind of encourages them not to think because the note is constantly being played for them. Not the way you want to start off a rehearsal, right? You want them to think. Other than your starting pitch, a piano really shouldn't be necessary. Like, the singers don't need to hear all the notes of the chord. They can find it. So when you exercise vertical tuning, like tuning chords, right, they're forced to listen and tune to each other. Same thing when you're doing horizontal tuning, which is tuning each note of a melody, making sure that the intervals between the notes are tuned correctly. Also, I highly recommend a tuning app that tells you how sharp or flat you are to use during your warm-ups. There are plenty of apps out there you can use, but one I really recommend is TE Tuner. It's really user-friendly and it's a machine telling them whether they're singing sharp or flat, not a person. So it's non-judgmental feedback, which is great for you because then they won't be upset when you tell them they're flat or sharp. You can just show them. Like if you tell the soprano section to think higher all day, they won't really know what that means until you really show them what it means. It's a way for them to physically see what they're singing. And I bet you'll see an amazing improvement in finding their tonal center after you, you start doing that. And another great advantage to singing without a piano is that they learn to understand how voices tune to each other because voices tune a little differently than a piano. So if they're tuning to a piano, they'll never really get that, that ring we were talking about because that's just not how voices tune to each other. And I constantly hear the phrase, hey, if we're singing flat, as long as we're doing it together, it's fine. Well you'd actually be pretty amazed at how dull the sound is when the entire en ensemble is like 20 cents flat. But you won't really know the difference if you aren't ever doing it correctly, right? And this is another way that you'll never get that ring in a chord because it just won't happen if it's flat. So, so don't settle. 
Take advantage of technology and check your tonal center before and after you finish a song and make adjustments and make note for maybe addressing that in the next warm-up for your next rehearsal. So those are my thoughts on the most important aspects of a good, efficient warm-up. And before you ask, how long should a warm-up be? I'll tell you right now, my answer will always be as long as it takes. Maybe it'll be five to seven minutes, or maybe it'll be 20 to 25 minutes. You know, the moral of the story is if you can't accomplish a goal, don't move on because the issue won't magically disappear when you're working on a song, right? So to wrap this up, the most important aspects of a good warm-up, in my opinion, are getting everyone on the same page via some sort of physical warm-up, two, being unified, and three, refraining from using the piano as often as possible. Obviously, there's a lot more that goes into a good warm-up, but if you keep these three things in mind, you'll be another step closer to setting your group up for success. So that wraps it up for this week. Again, my name is Lisa Hawkins, and thank you for joining me on this week's mini segment of Asking for Directions. You're listening to community-supported Acaville Radio, streaming acapella around the clock at acaville.org. Acaville, the only place where drums are replaced by boots and cats. And we're back on Talkapella. So what an incredible episode we've been having, uh, John and myself, yeah, with Rachel Jaffe. It has been phenomenal and uh, been one of my favorites, actually. So yeah, right? I know they just everything is just gel today. I, I love it. So as per tradition, how we end Tacapella here, uh, we always love to ask our guests, you know, what piece of advice would they like to give to the acapella community at large, you know, based off anything we've discussed, anything that's come to mind. So Rachel, I pose the question to you, what piece of advice would you give to the community? Yeah. So um, as somebody who does a lot of interviews, uh, my my advice is around interviewing and how to uh, be a good interviewee. And my my silly advice is know your group origin story, please, because you will be asked that without yeah. a doubt. And oh, you true. should know it true. with at a drop of a hat like that. Should, there should not be any pauses in that. Um, but <laughs> but also, I would say it's an opportunity really to um, to make yourselves shine. So the good stories about your moments together that are really poignant or um, the lessons that you've learned. People enjoy a story and enjoy a journey. And uh, I encourage you to 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 share those with the people who love you because we're interviewing you, not just because we, the interviewees, love you, but because the people who are listening love you. And just give them a reason to love you more. I absolutely love that. That was perfect. As a, a professional marketer, that was phenomenal. Awesome. Oh, thanks. Nice. <laughs> I've said many times that I want to get uh, take all the advice we take from this segment and just get it tattooed on my back. Your back is full, man. I would love to see that. Uh, I think that I think that would be one of the highlights of it. I think maybe I'll do that in like I don't know Boulder Inc or something. I don't know. Um, Rachel, thank you so much for joining Brian and I today on Tacapella. It was really great to have you on. If people want to get a hold of you or listen to your interviews or see what you're all about and what you do at Acaville, how could they do that? Yeah, you can go to acaville.org and press the big old play button at the top. And uh, I do interviews on, I guess I air on Tuesdays during competition season at 8 p.m. Eastern. And um, and then uh, sometimes I do co-host spotlight interviews, which are on Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern. Boom. 
Brian, where can they find you, man? As usual, you can find me on Twitter at Brian with an I underscore A05. And as always, please go follow all of my channels with College Acapella. And then everyone, you can find me in the same place. You can find me at Twitter and Instagram at John Lampus, J-O-H-N-L-A-M-P-U-S. You can also find me on the A Little Anarchy movie podcast. All right, everyone, this was a super fun episode. Rachel, thank you again for joining Brian and I. It was great to just talk about all this stuff. And Brian and I have had a really fun time lately talking about acapella topics that people just either haven't thought to talk about, don't want to talk about, or just don't think to talk about. So it's been great to be like, how do you present your group? How do you deal with all these issues that you don't initially think of when you're quote unquote acapella-ing. So thanks again for coming on. This is great to have you. It was a blast. Thank you so much for having me. All right, everyone. That's it for this week's episode of Tacapella. As always, we are Tuesdays at 5 p.m. PDT and again, rebroadcast on Saturdays. Thanks for listening and for everything acapella, please stay tuned. Lunching at 21 and watching your diet Declining a Charlotte Bruce, accepting a fig When out of a clear blue sky, it's only time to try And this can be the start of something big There's no controlling the unrolling of your fate, my friend Who knows what's written in the magic book When fate comes knocking at the gate, you let him in, my friend It's time to go without a second Start something big, start something great, start something positively fine.